be in God's house today. I am grateful to be here with you. And uh, you have some of the best pastors in the whole wide world in Sean and Diana. And uh, I, I just want to take a moment just to honor them. And just I just want to thank you as a church for giving them uh, the freedom to take some time to relax, to refresh, to uh, get recharged so they can come back home and preach some amazing messages and lead you into all of God's promises. And, you know, they're in this for the long haul. And this is, this is not a, a, a quick sprint. This is a marathon. And they need these times of relaxation. So thank you so much. And let's just honor our pastors this morning. Come on, let's honor them. And just, come on, they're watching. Let them know how much we love you. We love you. It's your cool hair. Skinny white boy, whatever. Uh, well, I, I'm grateful to be here all the way from Yakima, Washington, uh, which you probably never heard, but it doesn't matter. You can woo and you never heard of it, whatever. Uh, but Yakima, Washington, uh, it's a uh, town of 100,000 people in the state of Washington. And I'm grateful to pastor an amazing church together, church. And uh, my family allows me the privilege to come and to be able to uh, speak and, and, and invest into what God's doing in your house. And I believe that the picture for you today, uh, that's my amazing family. That's my beautiful wife, April. And then my oldest son, who's got blonde hair in this picture, that's Meeks. He's actually here with me today. He just graduated high school this week. Um, and then we got my middle son, the white wonder. His name is Elijah. And then the, the youngest one, that's Amiri. He's 10 years old, but we call him Dewey because he looked like Dewey Duck when he was born. So he's Dewey. And I'm grateful on behalf of them and my church just to be here with you today. And we're going to have a good time. I only know one speed when it comes to preaching. It's fast and loud. So you're going to have to preach me on. My church is very interactive. And, you know, any moment, you know, we have this rule that if five people clap, everyone has to clap or you get smacked. It's the rule. Because, you know, there's always the awkward Christian that claps out of turn. So we don't want them to be awkward. So whenever you hear five people clap, you just all join in so that way they don't. So that's a rule we have back home. So if you want to apply that rule today, that'd be awesome. Um, but I'm going to pray before I preach. It's my custom. So if you can close your eyes and bow your head, I'd appreciate it. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to declare and share your word. Help me to uh, talk about you in a loving way and display you in a way that uh, shows how good you are, how merciful you are, and how amazing you are. God, I know there's many people here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior for many different reasons. Maybe because they don't feel worthy, they feel unqualified, or maybe they don't feel like they have any need for you at all. But God, I pray by the end of this message that they would receive you as Lord and Savior. God, I also pray for those of us who have surrendered all to you, that have left many things to serve you. God, I pray we would leave here refreshed. God, I pray that we would believe the impossible. God, I pray that we would just not attend church but become a church, that God, you would use us outside these walls and we would, we would uh, make your name famous throughout this region. In Jesus' mighty name, someone shout, Amen. Well, I'm going to be preaching a message. Five people clap. See? You got to join in. See how easy that is? And so I'm going to be preaching a message today called Make the Switch. Make the Switch. If you're taking notes, write that down. Make the Switch. And uh, I'm going to start in the, in the Bible, Luke chapter 5. Um, we're going to start of a story um, with Jesus and Peter. And it, and it reads like this. Verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee... Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go outwards deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, Here's the text, and I kind of want to give a little context to this because as we read it, we don't really catch what's really happening. So Peter, he is a commercial fisherman. He is, uh, his father was a fisherman. He, they have a family business of fishing, so he's a long line of fishermen. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's mending his nets because they went out all night before, didn't catch anything, and fishermen are pretty particular about their craft. They, they have a honey hole. They know what time the fish are going to hit. They know what kind of lure. They over-exaggerate stories. They lie. They say they catch the biggest fish and it got away every time. When they take a picture of a fish, they put it way out so it looks bigger in the picture. You know, they're exaggerators. So Peter's that guy, and Jesus, he's a carpenter. He's known for his dad building tables and chair. He's like Chip and Joanna Gaines. That's Jesus. And so Jesus is in the boat. He's preaching. Crowds of people are around, and he steps into Peter's boat. He preaches from the boat and then tells Peter, hey, Peter, let's go fishing again. And Peter looks at him like, Jesus, stick the tables, okay? You stick the tables. Let me deal with fish. I know how to fish. You build tables. And Jesus is like, Peter, just listen to me. Let's go outwards deeper, and I'll tell you where to catch. So Peter's like, all right, whatever. If you say so, we'll go. And you might not know this, but a lot of us are like Peter. You know, I've been married 10 years. I know what I'm doing. My husband ain't never going to change. I've tried that, Jesus. Thank you very much. Stick to tables, Jesus. You know, don't tell me how to work my money. I work hard for the money, so hard for it, honey. Don't tell me about my money. I don't need no Dave Ramsey. I got this thing all figured out, Jesus. Don't be all up in my business. You know, I, I know how to raise my kids. Don't you tell me how to raise my kids. Jesus, you ain't even had no kids. <laughs> you, you stick to tables, Jesus. And sometimes we feel like, you don't understand, Jesus. I've been trying to make this situation better for the last three years. If I could get off that addiction, I would have got off that addiction. I don't want to look at that internet site, but I am keep being drawn to that internet site. Jesus, you don't understand how hard it is. I'm struggling. I really like to be happy. I don't want to have to keep sleeping around, but I'm tired of being lonely and all my friends keep having a boo and I just want to snuggle up with somebody in Netflix and chill, but... I guess what Jesus was trying to describe through this miracle, because why would Jesus start off Luke chapter 5 with more fish in a boat? Like, what does it have to do with anything? Like... Open up some eyes, make somebody walk, raise someone from the dead, but fish in a boat. Come on, Jesus, what's so special about this miracle? 
And I think what Jesus was trying to describe was that he sees your every need and he knows exactly what you're facing. And if you let Jesus get in your boat, anything's possible. I don't care what your marriage looks like. I don't care what your family looks like. You get Jesus in the boat, anything's possible. I don't care if you got a rap sheet and a record and incarcerated. You get Jesus in the boat, anything's possible. I don't care what your situation looks like right now. You get Jesus in the boat, anything's possible. You'll get clean. You'll get sober. Your marriage will get mended. Your kids will turn around. If you get Jesus in the boat, anything's possible. If you believe it, shout amen. I heard you guys were the most excited, so you guys are going to have to. I got up early. I don't get up early today, and I got up early, so just walk with me. Talk with me. Lean with me. Guide with me. Slide. You know, just we're going to do this thing together. You know, my story sounds a little bit like this, so. I wasn't raised in church, so that's why I say crazy stuff, because I have no concept of the do's and don'ts of church. <laughs> so if I say anything, you can clean it up when you get back, okay? I'm talking to Sean. You, you, pastor, you just clean it up, okay? Uh, you asked me to come, this is what you get. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> five people clap. There it is. You, gotta, you gotta jump in. You gotta jump in. And so, you know, my story, I grew up in a single-parent home. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm going to be 38 this summer, July, y'all, 38. Somebody's like, how are you? You look so young. I know, black don't crack. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Y'all got Botox? I got black talks. Yeah, that's my daddy gave it to me. What? <laughs> well, I grew up in a single-parent home, and my mom, she, she's white. You know, she is, she is hillbilly, hee-haw white. Patsy Cline, Dwight Yoakam, Randy Travis, Garth Brooks, Brooks and Dunn, the Judds, Alabama, you know, just white. So I'm half hillbilly, half hood. I'm hoodbilly. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Hoodbilly. So my mama took me to church when I, until I was about seven years old, and then all of a sudden I got, she got a little bit older and I walked away from of the church, and she started uh, singing at karaoke bars and getting loaded every weekend, bringing different guys home every single weekend, and so that was kind of my upbringing, and uh, by the time I turned roughly around 13 years old, I'm leaving eighth grade. It's the summer of my eighth grade year going into ninth grade. My mom comes home, and she says, hey, son, I'm getting married, and I'm moving to Las Vegas, and if you want to come, you can come. Yeah, you did what I did. See? I did I did that too. I was like, <laughs> like, wow. If I want you, I got options. So I'm like, I ain't going then. I'm staying. And so she's like, all right, your sister, she's 16. She's a high school dropout. She's going to take over the house. You can live with your sister. I'm going to Vegas. So here I am, 13 years old, living with my sister, who's a high school dropout. And, uh, in my first week living with my sister, she introduced me to marijuana. And I got high for the very first time. And uh, so I ended up losing my virginity that summer. And now I'm smoking a lot of weed, having a lot of sex at 13 years old. And uh, so my, my, my ninth grade year starts out. And in the first week of ninth grade, I meet some friends who are selling drugs and doing drugs. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring some home. I'm going to hook my sister up. She hooked me up. I'm going to hook her up. So I brought some drugs home and left them for her in the living room and 
She gets home. She sees the drugs. She calls my mom. Mom, I can't take care of Mekon. He's smoking weed. <laughs> yeah, you did what I did. Snitch, you're the one that got me high. What are you doing? Snitches get stitches. I'll bust you in your face. That's what I was thinking. She said, I can't handle him. He's smoking weed. He's skipping school. And so I get uh, kicked out. I got to go live with my uncle. My uncle whoops us and uh, physically abuses us, so I have to leave my uncles. Now I'm living with my dad, who I barely even know because I saw him like once every four or five years growing up. Get bounced around from family member to family member. This happens all the way from ninth grade all the way up to my senior year. I don't graduate on time. I'm now a second-year senior, and I'm living with a friend to try to graduate my second-year go-around. And so I'm at this school. I meet this girl. She's a junior in high school. I'm a second-year senior. I get her pregnant. So she's pregnant um, with my oldest son, Mekon. And uh, I graduate high school, and she still has one more year to go. She has Mekon in, in the midst of her senior year. And I'm like, I want to do the right thing, but it wasn't for the right reason. So I'm like, I'm going to marry this girl because I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be absent. I, don't, I want to be able to see my kids play sports. I want to be involved because I knew what it was like to not have a dad. So I wanted to marry her, but not for the right reason. It was like just so I could do the right thing. So we ended up getting married August 1999, and I cheated on her all the way till three days before we got married. So this is the basis of our relationship. I was a liar. I was doing drugs. I was selling drugs. I was cheating on her, having sex with as many people as I possibly could as if it was a game. And, and so three days before we get married, I end up cheating on her. We get married, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do good now. I'm going to try to be the guy I'm supposed to be. But that's just behavior modification, and you can't really live that way. And so fast forward to October. So a couple months later after August, it's now October 1999, and she is... Uh, going to a church service, and she goes to this church service, and there's a guest speaker there, and she has a radical transformation. I know nothing about it, and she comes home, and she's like, you're not going to believe what happened to me at church. Will you come to church with me tonight? Now, I was a crooked guy. I sold drugs and had a lot of sex with girls, but I still went to church every single weekend, and uh, she went to an all-white church. I went to an all-black church because white people can't clap on the right beat, so... <laughs> You know, I grew up on Patsy Cline, but, you know, I need some gospel, some soul on the weekends. And uh, so we, we went to church in two different areas uh, on that Sunday. And so I'm sitting at home playing Madden 1999 on a Nintendo 64 with my brother. Yeah, I'm winning, too. It's feeling good. And she's like, you got to come to church. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to church two times in one day. I'm not double dosing on the Holy Ghost. You will overdose on Jesus if you go two times in one day. No. And so she's like, no, you got to come, you got to come. So I'm like, no, I'm not going. Why are you asking me? He's bugging me. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm losing now. You know, I'm frustrated. So argument starts taking, she starts crying, like hysterically crying. You don't ever do anything I want to do. And she's like, I'm like, what is happening to this woman? And she is bawling her eyes out. And I look at her and I say, if you will shut up, shut up, stop crying. If you will shut up, I'll go. <laughs> okay. So she wipes her face. And I get to this service, and this guy by the name of Benny Perez. He was here last week. For those of you that don't know, catch the podcast. And uh, Benny, he's speaking at this service. And uh, I was scared. You know, his eyes, big old eyes looking at me. I was like, oh. oh, you know, you had the same feeling, huh? And I'm like, he's talking to me. And so, I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and so I was like, okay. So he starts preaching this whole message. I'm making fun of him the whole time. And my brother like, 
Who's this guy? And uh, he gets to the end of his message, and he's like, he's like, uh, you know, some of you need to, it was a tithing altar call. I've never seen a tithing altar call in my entire life, but whatever. So he's giving an altar call and tithing, and I'm good. Now, I was a crooked guy. You know, I went to church. I sold drugs. But my dad told me that if you give God 10%, he'll bless you. So I put my drug money tithe up in there. Show did. Yes, I did. I tithed it on my drug money. Yes, I did. What? I'm trying to get my blessing. And uh, so I told you I wasn't raised in church. You're going to have to clean this up, Sean. It's all you. And so, uh, so I tithe on my drug money. I was just like, I'm good. I'm good. This is tithing. I tithe. You know, I don't do anything else in the Bible, but I tithe. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, he gets this thing. He's like, he's like there's like 12 of you that are going to stand up. And, and he starts talking. And next thing you know, I am crying hysterically. Like crying to where people can hear you. Snot bubbles <laughs> all over. Ugly face cry. Like they know. And I'm in an all-white church. And I'm not all white. I'm not all right or all white. It's, it's bad. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's like, it's you. So, so I stand up. And he's like, you. And I'm like, obvious. Ain't no one in here with the Jerry Curl except me. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, you. So I come out, and he asked me these questions. And I didn't know how to articulate it then like I do now. But he asked me these two questions. He says, he says do you believe in Jesus? And I said, yes. And then he said, but are you living for him? And what he was trying to tell me was, is Jesus in your boat? Because you can be around Jesus, you can come to church every week, you can hear awesome messages, you can sing the songs, because the people that Peter preached to wasn't, or that Jesus preached to, he was in Peter's boat, and there was tons of people that heard what Jesus was saying, but only Peter got to experience the blessing that Jesus had, because Jesus was in the boat. And there's many of you, if you're not careful, you'll come to church week after week after week, and you'll believe in Jesus, and you'll be around Jesus, but you won't let Jesus in your boat. And I'm here to tell you that everything you need is found when Jesus gets in your boat so you got to let him in on this invitation because he can fix your marriage he can fix your family I'm still married to that same girl 18 years later and God repaired my marriage he took a second year senior to build the largest church in our region because anything is possible when Jesus gets in the boat but this is what happens that if you've ever given your life to Jesus if you're one of the people who have asked Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, then you've experienced this moment where he has blessed you, whether it's lifting your depression or uh, reconciling relationships or uh, taking your guilt and condemnation away and your shame away, They're, uh, getting you off an addiction, giving you a job you're underqualified to have, and all these kinds of things where Jesus shows up and he, he comes into our life. And the, 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 the dilemma, though, is, is are you going to stay in the boat or are you going to get out? Because Jesus always gives us a proposition. He always invites us to something new. This is where you have to make the switch. Because after Peter gets this two, think about this. So here, here Peter is. He's a fisherman, right? Like this is what he does for a living. And Jesus just now filled two boats full of fish. This is probably the hugest catch he's ever had. He just hit the jackpot. He just made a lot of money. If I was Peter... And you were Peter, you'd probably say, hey, Jesus, can you come back next week? 
can we show up at the exact same time and let's do this? Look, matter of fact, can we do this daily? Just get in my boat, and every time I go out to fish, just fill it up. And, you know, we're laughing and giggling, but a lot of Christians live that way. Oh, what happened at service last week was so good. Can we come back and sing the same song? Can the people still serve me like they did last week? Can you watch my kid and serve my kid like you did last week? Can the pastor just preach that amazing message for me again like last week? Like, I just want to keep receiving the blessing. I just want, come on, God, come on, Jesus. Bring it on down, Jesus. Bless me, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. And so we sit there as consumers, and this is where you need to make the switch because um, consumers want to keep experiencing the miracle, but contributors want to be part of the miracle. Five people clapped. That was a good, that was your, that was your cue. Consumers want to keep experiencing the miracle, but contributors want to be part of the miracle. And Peter had to make a switch. Jesus filled both his boats and then told him, all right, Peter, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. And the Bible says as soon as Peter got to shore, he left the boats, he left the nets and followed Jesus. The question is, will you leave the comfort of consuming to be part of the miracle that God wants to do through your life. And this is where it's very important because if you're not careful, you'll get so caught up in receiving the miracle that you won't be a miracle. You'll get so caught up in God doing something in your life that you'll never step out and be that something for someone else's life. And God's got something so much more for you than him just redeeming your family. He wants you to be an extension of helping other families be redeemed. It's more than just getting you off a drug. He wants you to be an extension to help other people get off a drug. It's not just about you getting married. It's about you helping out people in their singleness. It's not just about you coming off your depression. It's about you bringing joy to other people. He wants you to make a switch from consuming to contributing. See, there, there are other people they are going to put up on the screen. This first person I want to describe to you, his name is Lincoln. Now, Lincoln, he's a service leader at one of our campuses. He actually gets up and uh, hosts and closes out the service. And um, Lincoln was a youth pastor at one time. He went to Bible college, got his degree, became a youth pastor, uh, never did any drugs or anything his whole life, uh, was raised in a Christian home. But uh, he got married. He adopted two kids with his wife. When he turned 30 years old, he had this itch to try alcohol. And so at 30 years old, he leaves the youth ministry, he leaves the church, and he becomes an alcoholic. He leaves his family, his wife, and their two adopted kids. And he goes on this hiatus of just doing whatever he wants to do. He starts doing drugs, sleeping around with other women, and uh, becoming an alcoholic. He's getting DUIs. It's going bad. He's a teacher, so he's at the risk of losing his job uh, in the education field. And um, Lincoln had a wife that he had been separated for for four years and eight months. Now... Lincoln was a teacher. He had my oldest kids in some of their classes and was their basketball coach, and he was just, like, depressed and miserable, and he hated life. Well, his wife was a kindergarten teacher, and my youngest son, Dewey, was getting ready to start kindergarten. And uh, Dewey shows up to this school. He ends up somehow, uh, through a cause of events, getting in this kindergarten class, and she was his teacher. And Dewey, I mean, he's an inviter. Every week he's saying, Miss Nugent, will you come to church with me? You're so beautiful, Mrs. Nugent. He'd bring invite cards. He's always inviting her to church. I mean, every kind of invite card you could think of. He's doing a million and one ways. Say, Mom, can we pray for Miss Nugent that she'll come to church? Like, how do you say no to this five-year-old? Well, she did all year. She didn't say it, but she didn't come. 
But once the year was over, come to find out she didn't want to come because she thought it would be weird to have his teacher at the same church. That's what she assumed. So she waited till the year was over, and the summer break of her year, she came to our church and brought their two adopted kids. Well, the two kids loved it so much that they're like, can we keep coming back here? So she calls Lincoln. Lincoln, can you please bring the kids to this church every weekend when you have them because they love this church so much, and I want them to go to the same church every single week. Lincoln goes, sure. Lincoln would come to church hungover. He would sit in the back, still reeking of alcohol, and cry the whole service. He would cry because he hated the fact that God loved him enough even when he didn't love himself. And he's probably thinking about all the stuff that he washed away and left. So he's crying. He hated it and loved it at the same time. And so a couple weeks go by, he calls me. He says, Pastor Mekon, I'm going to check myself into treatment. So you're going to check yourself into treatment? He said, yeah. He said, will you pray for me? I said, sure. So I sent him with a couple books. He goes into treatment. While he's in treatment, he has to make amends to his family. So his separated wife of four years and eight months drives up there with their kids. And he does this whole spill of apologizing, talking about all the things that he did. And in that moment, because she had been coming to our church long enough, she knew about the grace of God and how God can do anything when you allow him to get in the boat. She tells him, hey, when you get out, you can live in our basement. The house that you left, the house that you walked out of, you could come live in the basement because if you go back to your apartment, you're going to get drunk again. So I'd rather you stay in the basement and stay sober than go back home. So he gets out of treatment. He goes back to the house. He lives in the basement. One month goes by. Two months go by. Three months go by. Six months go by. Before you know it, they start rekindling their flame. They end up getting back to being married. They adopted two more kids. He graduated from our second year of school of ministry, and he's preaching this weekend at our downtown campus. I'm just here to tell you that God can make beauty out of your ashes, and anything can happen when you get Jesus in the boat. It's not over. And then there's this girl named Nina. They'll put Nina up. Now, Nina, uh, Nina, she's a rock star. I love this girl. Um, Nina, she grew up very poor. Uh, addiction was a byproduct of her life. She got exposed to drugs at a young age. And uh, in her early years as a woman, uh, she was in, in doing a lot of drugs. She got drugged up, and a couple of guys drugged her up, took her to a hotel, and uh, sold her while she was doped up for about eight days in a row. And she got basically raped for eight days consistently. And they sold her. She was so drugged up, she couldn't even leave the facility. And she finally got sober enough to realize where she was at and ran out of the hotel butt naked, uh, fighting to save her life. And so because of an emotional experience like that, it traumatized her. And so she ended up participating in a thing that damaged her. She ended up getting into a prostitution ring and started selling herself for money, for finances, uh, to, to keep her habit, her addiction. She ended up getting married. Um, to another guy and trying to do good but couldn't do good. She was a bartender at the time, and she was just doing all kinds of stuff on the side. Their marriage was going down the tubes. Well, uh, someone sent her a link to one of our messages online. And so she watched the message in her living room and cried the whole time, never been to our church. She cried the whole time and in the living room lifted her hands and gave her life to Jesus, watching it on a video message. The very next week she came to our church, oh my goodness, they were a work in progress, but she came to our church, uh, and fast forward about five years now, she's our outreach director of our church, she oversees all of our jail ministry, all of the sex trafficking ministry, she just raised $194,000 for World Vision two weeks ago, 
Her life is completely changed. She's still married, still going strong. She's a pastor at our church. I'm just here to tell you that anything can happen if you just get Jesus in your boat. And then there's my sister. This is Tasha Pleasant. Now, Tasha, she is, she's my oldest sister, and uh, she's not the one that took me in when my mom left because she was going to school uh, in another city and was a stripper uh, at the same time. Very smart, very uh, uh, educationally smart, but not, not the brightest bulb on the tree. And uh, she, she was going to school to become a lawyer, and uh, she was really close to being a lawyer. She, she had addictions, and uh, she, she battled self-esteem and self-worth. She got molested at a very young age by a close family member. And so she always battled her self-insecurity, uh, not feeling good enough. And um, I would see her try to commit suicide like once every year. I would find her bloody in the bathtub. I'd have to call the police to come save my sister. And um, she grew up. She moved away. She started going to college and, and trying to get this lawyer degree and uh, was a couple months away from finishing. I mean, she was almost done. Seven years of school. She's almost done of, be, of becoming a lawyer. But she had this gambling addiction. She had a, a drug and alcohol addiction. And uh, it got so bad that she was forging checks at her employment. And so she got caught um, with identity theft. She had to go serve a couple years in the penitentiary. And um, her dad was convicted for a double murder when she was growing up, so she never saw her dad. So she was kind of like following the same process, the same pattern of her father. And so she's now incarcerated, and they banned her from the legal. She, she can't become a lawyer. And um, so everything in her life that she was trying to build got stripped away from her in a moment. And so... You can imagine how angry and how hurt she was, and hurt people hurt people. And so she didn't like me because my life is changing. I went from being in poverty and, and living a crazy life, second year senior, to now very successful in business. And I just started passionate in church. And so she hated me. She would, she would write mean, nasty stuff on Facebook on, about me. My brother's a pastor, and he helps all these people, but he can't help me. And uh, just, just very divisive and very rude and slander me and hated me, like would not even, I'd go to my mom's house, she'd be there, she'd turn her back to me, and I would be at my mom's house for at least an hour and a half, and she would just lay on the couch with her back towards me, wouldn't even look me in the face. And I prayed for my sister for at least 14 years, and I would say, God, you've changed me, I've seen thousands of people get saved in my city, I really want to see my sister saved. And uh, sometimes when you get out of that boat, you, you don't know if God's really going to keep working miracles, because you saw a miracle in you, but you don't. You want me to leave the miracle that you gave me in hopes that the miracle could happen through me. This is making a switch. And 14 years go by, and I see my sister. She finally came to our church one day, and uh, I think she was living at the Union Gospel Mission at the time because she was homeless, living on the streets. And she came into our church, gave her life to Jesus. I watched my sister raise her hand to give her life to Jesus. Three months later, I was able to baptize my sister, and that was a picture of her graduating our second-year ministry program. She works in the jails. She helps uh, women that are in battered shelters. I'm just here to tell you that you may have siblings or family that you don't feel like they're going to come to Jesus. Anything is possible when you got Jesus in the boat. There's no lost cause. There's nothing out of his reach. But there's always this dilemma because Jesus come in and he does something so great inside of every single one of us. But he wants us to switch from receiving the miracle to being part of the miracle. 
You know, if you keep reading in the Bible, you'll, you'll get to Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, there's a miracle that takes place. It's kind of interesting because it's a miracle with fish. Peter was a fisherman, and here's another miracle with fish. In Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Uh, he just passed away. Jesus hears the news. He's sad, and the Bible says he gets into a boat to go to a remote area to be alone. But the Bible says that as he gets in the boat to go be alone, there's crowds of people that see him get in the boat, and they follow the boat to where it's headed. And so when Jesus steps out of the boat, there are hundreds of people who are sick in need of miracles. And so Jesus performs miracles on the people. It's now late, and the disciples say, Jesus, it's late. We're tired. Send the people away so they can get some food, and, you, and we can get some rest. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. Well, how are we supposed to feed them, Jesus? We ain't got nothing. He says, well, what do you got? They're like, we ain't got nothing. No, McDonald's ain't open. There's no Chick-fil-A. It's Sunday. They're closed. And he said, well, what do you got? He goes, we got two fish and five loaves. And Jesus said, okay, I want you to bring me the two fish and five loaves. I'm going to break it, bless it, and then I'm going to hand it back to you. And you're going to distribute it to the people. Now, this is very significant because Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have just said, people be full. And they wouldn't have been hungry. God used to send manna from heaven. Jesus could say, hey, hey, God, can you send some quail down for us? And right there, thousands of quail, manna could have fell from heaven. This is God. He doesn't have limitations. He could have did whatever he wanted to do. But what he was trying to show Peter was, Peter, the thing that you left, the miracle that you experienced in the boat was supposed to be a miracle that you passed out with your hand. And so the same miracle that I did in you is the same miracle that I want to do through you. So I want you to take this fish and five loaves and I want you to pass it on to all these people. Here's what I want you to see. By receiving the miracle, Peter got enough fish to fill two boats. But by being part of the miracle, he had enough fish to feed 5,000 plus women and children and have leftovers. See, some of us never transition. We never get involved. We, we never get on the dream team. We never go through growth track. We, we never give our tithes and offerings. We don't ever invite people to church because what we feel like is if I get out of the boat, then I'll have less. The boat's safe. What Jesus is doing in my life is so good, and if I get on the giving in, I'll have less. But the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So what Jesus was saying was, look, Peter, I know I did a miracle in your life that was too much for you to handle. And you were in awe of two boats being full. But let me show you what I could do through you. At your hands, being a giver, you won't just have enough for two boats. You have enough for probably 9,000 people until they're full and 12 baskets left over. Peter, here's what I'm telling you. I'm the same God that supplied it to you in the boats. And I'll be the same God that supplies it to you as you release it from your hand. But you've got to make the switch from consumer 
to contributor. I promise you, Peter, it's better when you give it out than when you get it in. I know what God did in your marriage was awesome, but when you see God work in 10 other people's marriages, you're going to be so thankful. I know getting you off a drug, you couldn't have thought of anything better, but seeing families reconciled after addictions, nothing gets better than that. I know you didn't think you would ever be loved and I saved you, but when you see your friends and neighbors come to know Jesus, nothing is better than that. I'm here to tell you, Peter, make the switch. Make the switch. The miracle that Jesus does in your life is often the same miracle that he wants to do through you. Some of you have experienced miscarriages and God has healed your heart. And I guarantee you there's someone around you that's going to experience a miscarriage. And God wants to know, will you open your mouth and share the miracle? Many of you, your marriages went through hard, difficult seasons. I guarantee you there are people, co-workers, friends, neighbors who are going through similar marriage experiences. And God wants to know, will you share the miracle? Some of you have lost a loved one. You've lost a parent. You've lost a spouse. You've lost a son or daughter. And I guarantee you there is someone connected to you that is going to experience that or is experiencing that. And God wants to know, will you be part of the miracle? Some of you, you you lost stuff due to addiction and due to choices. And that would try to bring shame. But but God says he'll, he'll take what the enemy meant for bad and turn around and use it for your good. And God wants to know, will you be bold enough to share the miracle? You shouldn't have that job, but God. You shouldn't be married, but God. Your family still shouldn't be together, but God. You shouldn't even have your right mind, but God. You shouldn't have joy, but God. You shouldn't still be standing, but God. You shouldn't be alive, but God. And God wants to know, will you share what I did in you to help somebody else? here's the reality all of us need to experience the blessing of God the miracle of God and I would advise you to ask for every gift that comes from above ask for it all but I caution you because if that's all you do over time if you're unwilling to contribute you are essentially saying everyone else can go to hell you don't give financially through your tithes and offerings to build the local church, if you don't get, go through a growth track and get on a dream team and serve through the local church, what you are essentially saying is, I'm good. Everyone else can go to hell. We don't say it like that, but that's what we're saying. We're saying my salvation's secure. I don't know about anybody else. I love the music there. I love the preaching there. Oh, I thank God that someone paid for this building to be there so I could be there. But I'm not too sure I'm willing to be that for somebody else. And I would just challenge you to make a switch in your thinking. Don't live like, well, it's the weekend, it's my only day off. Because what if Jesus said that? It's Friday. I'm trying to chill today. I ain't trying to get on no cross. But the cross wasn't convenient. And some of you are going, I'm not, I'm not qualified. Pastor, I hear you, but I don't speak like you, and I'm not qualified. So we make excuses like, you know, I'd really love to be a door greeter, but I'm not a professional handshaker. You know, smiling and shaking hands at the same time, that's like touching your head and rubbing your belly. I'm unqualified. So Peter said, 
I don't even know how to catch fish, Jesus. I couldn't catch anything, and you showed up, and now two boats are full. You want me to go speak to people? Too much of a sinner. Some of you are like, you know, I really love to work with the kids, but I'm not a professional baby rocker. I can't. They cry when I hold them. I would like to run a camera, but left and right motion, it's too hard. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? That's what we say. I, I, can't, I can't wave people in the parking lot. I'll get hit by a car. I can't do that. I can't sing. Yes, we know. Please don't sing. We don't want you to. Please. Mm-mm. Don't give them a mic. But I just want to leave you with this. Every week, there's a Lincoln showing up. There's some wife praying for her husband every week. There's a Tasha. There's a Nina. There's a Mekong. And you're saying you're not qualified. Can I just tell you? This is on-the-job training. We don't have time for you to get qualified to love somebody back to life. There's someone's dad. There's someone's husband. There's someone's daughter. There's someone's son that needs a Savior. And we don't got time to make excuses. We got time to love somebody. We got time to hug somebody. We got time to work and serve somebody. I don't know about you, but eternity is real and heaven is too. And I want to make sure that everyone I know gets to see the glorious Jesus that changed me. Make the switch, church. Don't be a consumer. Be a contributor because someone's life is on the other end of your obedience. Every dollar you invest is going to reach somebody. Sure, you won't get to heaven for tithing, but someone else will. There are people who come to church not for the preaching, but for the hugs. There's some single mom that took everything to get here, and the fact that there are people watching her kids that are bad kids, that she's like, please, my number, don't come up, please. There's families who don't even want to come, but the kids love it so much they keep coming back. And before you know it, they get radically changed by the grace of God. You are called to make a difference. You are called to make a difference. You are the answer. So please get in the growth track. Find freedom. Know your purpose and make a difference. God wants to do it in you, but God wants to do it through you. With that said, you can be seated. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe you're today, here today, you're like me. 18 years ago, got drunk here by his wife. Or maybe you're like my sister, that you're running out of options and this was like a last ditch effort. Maybe you have guilt and shame from choices you've made and never thought a loving Savior would love you that much. But I'm here to tell you, if he can change Lincoln, If he could change Nina, if he could change Tasha, if he could change me, anything is possible. If you let him in your boat. There's many of you who've come to church for a very long time, but you've never let Jesus in your boat. You've been around Jesus, 
You believe in Jesus, but you're not living for him. You like the songs, you like the music, but you're not too sure you want him to get into your private space. But today's your day. And if you're here today and you know it, you know that today you're supposed to start a relationship with Jesus. Today, you're saying, I want to know God. And can I tell you, he wants to know you. He saw every tear. He saw every choice. He saw every step back. And he still says, I choose you. I choose you. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need this Jesus. Matter of fact, I'm not leaving here without him. I don't care who sees. I don't care who knows. I know that I know that I know that today I'm going to start a new beginning, that God is going to get in my boat and change me from the inside out. There's many of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, not a real one. There's many of you who've never prayed the prayer, and there's some of you, you need to rededicate your life because you've been on the fringe of a relationship, and Jesus wants to get into your boat. And if that's you, you know who I'm talking to. With every eye closed, every head bowed, you're saying, Pastor, that's definitely me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to give him all of me. Whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, however he wants it, I'm all in. Tired of making excuses. Tired of waiting for the right moment. This is my right moment. And I'm not leaving here without him. If that's you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, you're saying, Pastor, will you pray for me? Will you do me a favor? Just lift your hand high in the air right now. Just lift your hand. Yep, hands are going up all over this place. Yep, come on, put it up, keep it up. Tons of hands. Anybody else? I'm just pausing for a moment. There's, there's like 25, 30 hands right now. Anybody else? You're saying that's me. Yeah, come on, put it up high. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, tons of hands. Yeah, Jesus healing. He's restoring right now. Oh, my goodness. Families with hands lifted. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Going to put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for every hand that was risen. God, I pray you do a work that only you can do. I truly believe that today is a new beginning and a fresh start right now. Church, would you do me a favor and repeat this prayer after me, especially those of you who lifted your hands. Say this, say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to live for you and to love you all the days of my life. Today I'm new. Today I'm changed. Today I'm forgiven. Today I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise for all the people who gave their life to Jesus.